This episode of Misery Point Radio is brought to you by Steve Joyner and the SJ Network. So you got yourself a super badass project or an epic entertainment profile that you need to share with the universe? What you need is some next level promotion and representation. When you're ready to get the publicity and exposure you deserve, and I'm not talking about indecent exposure or dangerous solar rays, I'm talking about holy crap, I need to book this person now kind of exposure, then you need to call the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Joyner, and get yourself on the right path. Whether you're just starting out, a seasoned pro, or looking to take things in a new direction, Steve can help you out. So reach out and touch him over the phone, you pervs, at 816-605-4561 or via email at stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out www.s-j-network.com. Do yourself a favor and give him a call. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Darren Bruce from the DJ Sessions, and you're listening to Misery Point Radio. Wastelanders, thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. Excited to have you back with me today because I get to bring you an episode that's centered around a local music producer who is based right here in my own backyard in the perpetually sunny and never rainy, windy, or foggy Seattle area. And if that wasn't awesome enough, I also get to talk about a genre of music that I haven't yet tackled on the show and one that I'll admit I'm not overly familiar with, even though it's one of the most popular and widespread scenes in the world today. I'm, of course, talking about electronic music and the live DJ scene. I got my edumacation. Today's guest, Darren Bruce, is the founder and executive producer of the Seattle-based The DJ Sessions, who have the distinction of being the premier DJ featured partner for streaming giant Twitch, which is a feat in and of itself, let me tell you. Darren and I had an awesome conversation about his roots in the broadcasting and production industries, the origin of the DJ sessions, and its evolution from simple podcasting and single DJ gigs into massive events with A-list celebs and DJs from around the world. On top of that, we also explored his foray into the world of silent disco and silent concerts, and this concept will absolutely blow your mind. Oh, and did I mention mobile music trucks? I shit you not. And as I learned, Darren and the DJ Sessions are not just dedicated to music in and of itself. Darren has recently started a campaign to help get food, clothing, and supplies to local families in need through his Bundle Up and Boogie campaign. The DJ Sessions has officially become recognized as an essential business in the Seattle area. So you'll definitely want to hear the story of how Darren's company was able to pull that off and still manage to legally provide entertainment to the world in a time where most venues can't even think of having live entertainment. Truly epic. So grab yourself a microbrew or an organic fair trade coffee, button up that flannel, and welcome to Misery Point Radio from the DJ Sessions, Darren Bruce. Hey, Darren, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate the very long distance you had to virtually travel to be here. <laughs> Absolutely, Mike. I and virtual is the way we're going now, you know, and I could be doing this with you from anywhere in the world, but it's good to always be talking to somebody in our own backyard. Yeah, for sure. I don't know about you since the whole COVID thing even hit. Um, I went from kind of doing shows kind of sporadically on a kind of a not very 
set schedule to doing an insane amount of shows and talking to so many people that I had reached out to so long ago uh, who just we couldn't make it happen. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, hey, I've got time and boom, things just kind of exploded. Uh, but, you know, you and I both are in kind of the the music industry in some sense. And so we have been hit. Uh, I mean, everybody's been hit. But I mean, as far as COVID goes, our industry has more or less been shut down in so many capacities, uh, as have as have so many people. So uh, but it's been absolutely crazy for me. So I, I'm sure it's the same for you. Actually, uh, it, it's funny. We've been doing this particular show, the DJ sessions for 10 years. Right. And we were just getting ready to launch I mean, a really hardcore launch. We had a really big phase plan. We we're going to get roll out sponsors, the full nine yards, weekend events. I mean, we're we were on our schedule. We had twelve events a month, and as a promotions, co- I mean, events, not twelve tapings of the show from my bedroom, you know, a <laughs> month, which would some for most people be twelve hours. We were looking at upwards of producing anywhere from, uh, let's see, anywhere from twenty. Well. I guess, yeah, if everything was on point, we were looking at producing anywhere from 20 to 24 hours of content every week. Yeah. And uh, moving forward and just getting ready to hit. And yeah, things hit. And we were like, whoa. And one of our main things that we do this, the places we do this at is in the city parks. Um, We were working very closely with the city uh, on some stuff. And we're really excited to have some contracts with them and have our events sponsored by them and all that stuff. And um, when the park shut down, it kind of shut us down with everyone shutting down. But the nice thing was, is that over time, as things started to get figured out the next month and a half, we found out that we qualified as an essential business. Yeah. And this is how we, we filed with the state of Washington back in 2018. It wasn't something that I just, oh, let me see this caveat. Let me go start a new business. And look, now I'm an essential business and I can do this. Um, th- it was, you know, because nobody knew this was going to happen, let alone what an essential business was. There were There were bigger guidelines, like in case... You know, what was going to happen if the government shut down, what's allowed to stay open, um, sure. all those kind of fun things. But as far as community-operated businesses, there were media companies, they didn't know where it, where it stood. So under two guidelines of our state's essential business workforce, we found that our company qualified for that. So we were able to restart business back up uh, in May. And when the parks opened back up, we were able to, to go out there and do our things while physical and social distancing and showing that we had a game plan for it. And we were working very closely with our city leaderships and uh, parks and recreation, the right people to let them know what we were doing, that we're literally writing the playbook. And they, they loved our playbook. They love what we're doing. They know what we're doing. And, um, they just can't officially endorse us yet, unfortunately. Well, before we before we dig into the the meat and potatoes of of kind of the essential side of the business, let's just tell the Misery Point listeners kind of a little bit about you and what you do. Um, now, my people know that I'm a I'm a musician. I'm big in the the rock and roll and kind of in the metal industries, and also in in film. I talk to a lot of actors and filmmakers and things like that. But this is an exciting uh, talk for me because I'm not entirely familiar with like the electronic music side of things and with DJing. And I think a lot of the the perception is that, you know, a lot of us can just sit at home and do what we're doing. And in some cases like myself, I can, but you are a very interactive person with your business and kind of what you do. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us about the DJ sessions, tell us about kind of how you got started on that. um, And we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, well, the DJ Sessions is a live streaming podcast series that was started 10 years ago, 
And the main goal of it was to focus on A-list celebrity DJs and local DJs. More primarily, the local DJs that didn't have the know-how, equipment, bandwidth to actually know how to, one, do video production, two, live stream that or podcast that, and three, distribute that and get that out there. And this, I come from a, a long line of, of broadcast television and internet, dis, is internet distribution. You know, we were, um, when podcasting first came out, we were one of the first video podcasts in the iTunes Music Store when that section came out, when they released that, when the video iPod came out. Um, funny, some funny stories about that, how we went from 1,000 downloads a week to 10,000 downloads a week to 50 to 75 to at one point we're doing 300,000 downloads a week and we're like, how do we monetize this? Right. And, and that was um, from about 2005. To, well, we still podcast to this day. Our back end is, is all of our website is basically our podcast that gets ingested into our website, which is nice. So I don't have to duplicate so much. I can just click, plug a link, boop, brings it right in. Very, it was a custom built website for that. But long story short, in 2009, I started playing around with live streaming. And the one thing I loved about live streaming is that it was a WYSIWYG. It's what you see is what you get. <laughs> I love it. And you got it. You got to be on point, you know? And if there was a hip, if there was a hiccup or a mishap, you can go back and see some of our past, I think we're up to 1900 episodes now. You can go all the way back to 2010 and see some of the first episodes we did in the studio. Actually, you can still watch the first episode we ever did in my living room with my friend Alex Eagleton. And because <laughs> I was playing around with it all summer, we had gotten back from Winter Music Conference and I was playing around with Ustream, which is one of the streaming platforms because there was at that time, there was Ustream, Livestream and Justin TV. And I was playing around with Ustream and they both Ustream and Livestream had made us featured partners. So we were probably displayed to the front of their website. We were having fun um, doing our thing. I'd gotten into a moved it from my living room to my bedroom, which became the new studio. And um, it was running fine for a couple of months with locals. But then I brought uh, an A-list celebrity DJ over to my house to play in my bedroom by the name of Dave Dresden. And Dave Dresden is probably one of the world's top known DJs, Gabriel and Dresden. They are actually just, just literally destroying it on Twitch right now when they go live. Um, just hundreds of thousands of people watching them. But this is, you know, set the clock back 11 years ago. I have this A-list celebrity DJ playing in my bedroom and I go, ding, 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 ding. This is, this is something here. You know, about a month and a half later, I got into a studio downtown Seattle and Pioneer Square, uh, fit that, uh, Richo fitted that and basically made it an open studio so DJs could rent studio time from me to produce their live streaming shows. And then we'd be the distribution company that would put it out there and do a podcast for them. So um, just was going back and forth with that, you know, let's say that's 2010 to 2017-ish. I was just off and on with the show, kind of like, eh, lackadaisical, taking it seriously, not taking it seriously. Did it as things go. And uh, about late 2017, I said, you know what? Stuff's going to get in order. And here's the priority. Here's my life priorities. This is what's going to happen. And getting the DJ sessions, a new website, a new face to the DJ sessions was one of those key things. And um, at that time, I was going through some some major back issues like major pain issues and stuff so one of the other things was get, get my surgery done sure <laughs> you know and, and get that taken care of and then I, while i was recouping because i thought it was going to be a, a long recoup process which it still has been but that's a whole other story uh, i was going to fix this website and get this website built so i i, I talked to the dev, dev team got everything set up and started developing it 
And that actually took just a little bit longer than what I thought it was going to take. But we eventually um, launched it in September of 2019 uh, for the PAX event. Uh, you know, the Penny, oh, yeah, Arcade. Yeah, Penny Arcade Expo. Yeah. Yeah. So we launched it because we drive around with our mobile billboard. Oh, uh, well, I shouldn't say our mobile billboard truck. We drive around with our DJ Sessions mobile studio. I don't know if you got a chance to check that out on the website or not. I did. We're going to talk about that a little later okay, for sure. Cool. Yeah, that's that's a kick. So we launched the site in conjunction with driving that around PAX because you know at PAX, they're video game players. I'd say ninety eight percent of them are going to have a Twitch account since we are a Twitch featured partner. We were one of the first. I believe we were the first and made DJ regularly regularly scheduled live streaming DJ show made a featured partner in two thousand eighteen, and that was a huge honor for us uh, to to be made that. The only thing is it took so long for our website to get up and running. I didn't want to promote until the website was done. So I kind of sat back on that and it was late 19 and we were coming right into 2020 where we were just going to go full court press. I mean, just, we had over a hundred events on the calendar contracts to do our silent disco events, which I'll talk about in a little bit and just really start pushing the show and brand. So while what happened in March, when I saw everyone, everyone got shut down, nightclubs being shut down, venues being shut down. I saw this implosion of, I'd say, I use the term, if there were 10 million DJs in the world and 100,000 of them were streaming live online regularly in some capacity, it script flipped and went, okay, now there's 10 million DJs all streaming live online, vying for everyone's attention, saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I just said, you know what? I know what I got to do. This will give me some time. Let everyone share in the spotlight. Let everyone do their things. I, I know this game. Live streaming actually became secondary to me at that point. I went and focused on getting our licensing, making sure we're all taken on the back end, making sure we aren't getting cease and desist, making sure we aren't getting taken down. All that stuff, which I – and I must have got I must have got at least 150, 200 calls and emails and inquiries. How are you doing it, Darren? How are you getting around it? How are you not getting busted on Facebook? I'm like, first of all, I don't use Facebook. <laughs> Second of all – I have my licensing in place because I had to take care of that because in my talks to Twitch, we were getting ready to be featured on the front page of Twitch regularly. Yeah. And they're like, we can't do this unless you have your licensing. I said, okay, cool. And this isn't ASCAP EMI CSAC stuff either. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but it's out there and everyone thinks that Facebook's the enemy or Twitch is the enemy or these companies are the enemy and they're not. It's actually a legitimate copyright law that protects you and me, the little person, and even, you know, the big companies. And they're like, well, they're making so much money. Why don't they just pay it? Sorry, folks. That's not how it works. It just works. doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so a quick segue, because you and I are both in the music side of things. In order to play music, stream music, do on-demand music, any kind of things, not only do you have to have the legal right to share that music, because it's not just the artist that that can give you permission. Artists are great, but you know, you got record labels involved. You have distribution uh, contracts involved and they have the rights to pick and choose where that stuff gets played on. It's not always just up to the artist. So you have to pay uh, a licensing fee to be able to do it. And then depending on what kind of a license you have, there can also be royalties involved. So the people whose music you play get paid 
And so, you know, yeah, you can probably get away with streaming to a certain amount of point. Hey, I want to play this song, you know, whatever. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a music podcast, you know, and I get flagged all the time, even though I have also licensing rights. But in order to make sure that those get recognized that you have the rights, there's a process you have to go through in advance to make sure that people know you're going to play that stuff. So, so yeah, I, I feel your pain and, and there's, there's not a lot of people that do it properly or even give two shits to do it. You know, they just think, well, these guys are going to be happy that I'm playing their stuff. And I'm like, but again, it's not just them. It's, it's a whole nope. bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. So it sounds yeah. like you got all that stuff in place and that's, that's keeping you from, from getting flagged at least on any major amount of stuff. And the fact oh. that you're on Twitch is, is, amazing in and of itself because you know as you know twitch has been very vocal about hey you know what we're gonna crack down on people using you know music or people using you know even certain kinds of video clips or things like that because they want to make sure that they don't get you know hit with something because they're allowing it so um, that's exactly that's exactly the conversation i had with them back in january and they said, look, if we promote your content to the front page of our site, first of all, most people don't understand that DJ, uh, if you look at the community guidelines of Twitch, it's right there in black and white when it comes to music. It basically says, don't use your own. It specifically says, no DJ sets. <laughs> specifically, no DJ sets. You're not even supposed to do karaoke yeah. over Twitch. No, I mean, none of these sites. You're not supposed to do it unless it's a Twitch um, it's one of their, their own personal karaoke contests. They've gotten the rights or you're sure. not supposed to do that. And so you mentioned that, yeah, Facebook just cracked down October 1st. Twitch actually went back in June and they were, they, they won't do it during a live stream yet. Um, they are doing it for video on demand, but they weren't doing it for their clips and people that had their most famous clips that they were playing, they were getting flagged cause they had music playing in the background while they were doing right. it. Right. And it's just a matter of time before the doors started knocking. And it's not Twitch's fault. Twitch can't just jump up and say, yes, we're paying for all these licenses because one, you have two entities going on. Well, technically you have three entities going on on Twitch. You have live streaming, you have video on demand, and then you have clips. And you have to get synchronization and master use for live streaming. Then if you want to be video on demand, you got to get synchronization and and master use for, 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 for video, video on demand and same for clips. Now all those could be different negotiating prices for each one. And depending on who you are, <laughs> you might make it say, Hey, we're going to we're If you, if it was just as simple as talking to one sink and one master, that sink might say, Oh yeah, here's, that's going to be $1 and master's going to say $1. Yay. And I'm making up. That's an arbitrary number, by the right, way. Of course. They can come to Darren Bruce, the DJ session, and say, oh, no, we're going to charge you $50 and $50. Now, that's only if you got to talk to one person. Yeah. There can be, like you said, multiple publishers, multiple holders, multiple everything. And I won't bog you down because I've talked about it at, at nauseum. You know how it works. Um, people, it, it's not that simple. And, you know, it, it's not meant to keep you down. I'm talking about the people that are trying to do this. It, it's meant there to protect you as well. Right. Um, as a whole. Unfortunately, there's just, it's not going to be on any top agenda right now in any political form to say, hey, let's revamp copyright law today. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not at the uh, top of the priority list. So, so now, now you as a, uh, as the DJ session. So it, at one point, or it's still, you have a podcast, which, which 
is you do you talk to the DJs, you interview them, you kind of get some background on them, but then there's also a live performance section of that, which is why I assume that you have kind of two different formats for your show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, the original show started off where I'd interview the DJ for about three to five minutes, uh, then they'd play a set, and then they'd exit, uh, do an exit interview. Um, if that, if they're unavailable for that, now we're finding ourselves obviously doing what we call a lot of the virtual sessions where we're interviewing, but if they want to do a virtual set from home, I can include that in the back end of the show, which is usually, which is usually an exclusive mix or an exclusive set done just for the DJ sessions, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, just to go back to the stuff with license, it, it's pretty much the amount of content we produce. It's almost two full-time jobs. Yeah. And, and then you can't just to go back to that. You're not supposed to air any of the music. You can't go retroactive and ask for permission and pay for it you have to have those licenses in place before it goes live, before it goes out there. And, and nine times out of 10, they will not, probably most times, 10 times out of 10, they will not give you the rights in perpetuity. Yeah. Now, forever. Oh, yeah, yeah forever. They'll just, what happens when that episode goes out and starts making a million bucks? They're like, he got a song for a buck? No. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. No, no, no. no, no. Right. Uh, they'll usually so, cease and desist you or just have you pull it down or, or you know, yeah. uh, threaten you with some kind of legal action unless you just remove it altogether. And if you've yeah. got an episode that has either a high download count or a high level of visibility, that could suck for you. But at the same time, it's a better choice to to pull it down, you know, and lose yeah. the, lose the stat rather than have them, you know, come after you from a from a legal standpoint for sure. So yeah, and that's the that's the thing is that um, you know most people there's going to be the great third whaling of online content distribution happening here. I can't talk about too much of what's. <laughs> going to happen but if you if you don't have your licenses just just know that what you're doing right now you're going to get away with and what you think is going to be your backup solution by going to these other two providers i won't name them uh they're both in beta right now so they're going to find out one of them is trying to tell the industry what they're going to pay for their sync and master use yeah and it's like you can't do that that's not how it works Because like I said, Mike doing his thing and Darren doing his thing, I could have 10 million viewers and you could have 10 viewers. You can't, you, you get seven cents for that, but you give me seven cents for the 10 million. No, that doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's a different scalability formula. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing uh, this show now, I'm sure that it's evolved, you know, over the years. Um, Why did you decide, you know, with all of this, what, what is crazy elements you have to deal with, you know, why choose to go through all that? It's a question I get asked quite a bit. Why choose to go through all that? Um, because as I can see from now, the DJ sessions is more than just you. You're responsible for what seems like a lot of people that kind of play through as the DJ sessions. So you're more or less like the owner of a company, right? And mm-hmm. so it's not just you plocking down something on a podcast and throwing it out there to iTunes or whatever. There's a lot of other elements involved. What keeps you wanting to do that? I'm I'm glad you asked that. Uh, One of the key fundamentals, the key principles was I loved going to nightclubs when I was younger. I loved electronic music. I loved dancing. The energy. I mean, I grew up with rock band brothers and punk rock brothers, watching them play in concerts and all that. Um, But I gravitated uh, to electronic music. And I always, and being a video guy, I'd be at the nightclubs and I'd sit back and say, you know what? I'd hang out with my friends maybe the next weekend or a few days down the road. And they said, oh, were you at that nightclub? Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you hear that? Oh my God, it was so awesome. And I go, 
Why isn't anyone videoing this? Why isn't anyone capturing this? I mean, even distribution wasn't there if you audio captured it. You could burn CDs and hand them out to your friends, okay? But what was your return on that? Maybe sell a CD for a couple bucks and, okay, that was great. Um, but there was no online distribution. So it wasn't really till, you know, all I had was broadcast television in 2005 or public access. And YouTube was just in its infancy uh, at that time. And we saw YouTube as a you too, you talking to a camera. We did not see, we were broadcast television looking for millions of dollars with eight separate shows approved on 12 different stations on the whole West Coast, ready to go launch. Let's make this happen with, you know, these different genres. And um, then I was, I, we passed on YouTube, but I, we, I was working for Apple at the time and um, the p video pod, uh, video iPod came out, iPod video came out and I go, well, wait a second. Here's a distribution niche we could get into because now you can take our shows with you on the go. You could, you don't have to be stuck at a computer and watch this. So they didn't have Wi-Fi built into it yet, but if you download the podcast, it, if you subscribe to our podcast, it would automatically download to the video iPod and boom, that person could take it, put it in their car, put it on the go, listen to it. So our distribution need was handled. Um, that's a whole nother funny story being shut down on GoDaddy over three times, three or four times. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother fun story, but long story short. Yeah. So then, um, also, you know, at the time I was running internet radio stations from my house on a server and people could click in, listen to that live. Couldn't really listen to it in your car cause there was no internet in your car, but if you were, if you were at home, um, that was cool. But then the advent in 2007, here comes the iPhone. And then, you know, now you have wireless in your pocket. You have an internet communications device in your pocket, ready to go, downloading episodes, watching YouTube videos, online instant consumption, and just merging that together in 2009, seeing live streaming come into place and testing that out, saying, wait a second, why can't we just stream live? Now, my backlash from that was the nightclubs, they, and they'll say this to this day, the promoters will still say they might change their tune in a minute or two, but I highly doubt it because I don't see nightclubs opening up. Let's see. It's uh, what are we, October 2020. Uh, it's, it's said that nightclubs, big events, really, even though they're on the schedule, they're not coming back till August, September 2021. No way. And the complications that could arise if they rush it and all that stuff. So, um, But I know straight up these bars, nightclubs, the resistance I always met was, we don't want you streaming live from our nightclub. We don't want you recording live from the nightclub because that means people won't come down and want to buy drinks. Right. And I'm like, okay, but what if we pay-per-view this and put it up online? Okay. But a lot of the, the DJs, their writers, their contracts, they said no live streaming, no recording of the performance, blah, 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 blah. So that was another hurdle to get, get over get through. But the thing I love about it was instant on demand. It, it could get somebody from – I could have a listener in Germany or Australia or – Japan or somewhere around the world that wouldn't know the artist that's playing and go, this is an awesome set. Oh my God, this is phenomenal. You know, and get that worldwide recognition and a channel of showing those local DJs who were playing on our town and get them international exposure. Uh, and and if, if one of those DJs were to blow up and become big and they're like, I remember when Darren gave me a chance on his show and now I got a big following over Germany. I fly over there because they saw me on the show and this guy booked me. I would love for that to happen. And that's been, you know, kind of the stepping stone platform of utilizing my knowledge of video technology to help out the artist who's doing the music or audio technology side of it and, and 
being able to get their performance out to the masses. Uh, it's always a rush producing a live show. Now, to me, it's kind of second nature or third nature or fifth nature. Uh, but we're always trying to expand the gap and always trying to push the envelope on what can we do that's better? What can we do to make the show better, i.e. the mobile studio? Awesome. Great segue. <laughs> I was just going to ask you yeah. about that. So let's talk about these badass trucks that you got going on. <laughs> um, so tell us, when did this idea pop into your head? And then, and, and tell us out there in, in podcast land and radio land how yeah. these mobile trucks have changed the face of your business. Yeah, so it was funny. In 2007, I was um, I was out. We people won't know the local area, but everyone knows IKEA furniture. Okay. <laughs> and I, you'll see where this goes. And so I was. I, what happened is I was always taking all my gear, my three cameras, lighting, audio, taking it in the nightclub, setting up at nine o'clock, waiting to midnight to get a five minute interview with the DJ. Then I'd have to wait till two in the morning because they didn't want me unloading all my equipment when the club's all in action. And this was all for, you know, small bits and bites of, of things. And so I saw this truck, this glass box truck with an Ikea furniture setup in the back of it, driving down in um, Kent, you know, down where we got our Ikea. And I said, well, if you can put furniture in the back of a truck like that, why couldn't I set up cameras, pull that truck up in front of the nightclubs, do my interviews in front of the club where there's everyone can see me, the artist is there, lights, camera, action in front of the club, then... To shut down, all I can do is shut the back door, and I can go back and party. Yeah, I, I don't got to stay, you know, do my thing, and I can. My gear is protected and safe. It's a party I bus. Have, party bus. They actually, we just had to go through some legal on that to clarify <laughs> that for the state of Washington. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Uh, Ten years of running this thing, we've never been pulled over for it. Every officer in town knows us. You know, really cool. Always, so we get them dancing in the street, hanging out with us and stuff, and. Uh, you know, one one decided to pull us over recently, and uh, obviously, I took it to court and said, "No, that ain't gonna happen. We're a party bus." And they go, "Oh, never mind. Bye bye." I was like, "Cause I know my stuff." But long story short, I got this truck. I saw the idea in 2007. I didn't get to purchase it until 2010, and retrofitted it. Everyone started knowing it as like, "It's the DJ mobile. It's the DJ Pope mobile." It literally looks like a Pope mobile on the back. You know, if you're familiar with Pope mobile, <laughs> yeah, glass box. Uh, car that they were driving around in and that's been out in the streets and driving around for years and and we've had a lot of people play in the back of it i just recently uh, a few years ago put a sound system in it that people say they can hear from two city seattle city blocks which they aren't new york blocks they're not san francisco blocks but i'd say a minimum of an eighth of a mile possibly up to a quarter mile away sure is how loud you can hear the sound system or at least feel the bass from it that is and uh, we take it out every Wednesday and drive it around. And what happened at the end of 2019, I started researching some technology that actually allows us to live stream from the back of the truck while we're driving around. Jeez. This is a huge hurdle. Yeah. And it also uh, helps us to live stream when we're out on location as well, where people don't have internet. That was not a uh, inexpensive toy to get. Uh, and it's not inexpensive to run. It's very costly. Sponsors, we are looking for some, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it just, it's just it's a kick. People dance in the street. They get down to it. Um, we call it the mobile sessions, or that version of the show is the mobile sessions. We call it the DJ sessions, mobile studio, that we can kind of pack up our studio, take it somewhere, stream live on location, have DJs playing, and um, drive, drive it back home when we're done so we don't have to take all our gear and set it up somewhere. And um, when, when, when it pre-March, before... 
uh, COVID, <clears throat> we were actually able to put up to 15 people in the back, dancing, party, and drinking like a party bus, and uh, have the DJs playing. We have to give everyone earplugs because you will lose your hearing after being in there for four hours. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, we drive it around. We go maybe about 10, 15 miles an hour on a four-hour tour around the city, down the streets of Seattle, Capitol Hill, through the U District by the college kids, and around. And everyone just they get it because they know they normally nobody sees stuff like this unless you maybe you might see it in New York, and you might see it in San Francisco, L.A., um, Chicago, Miami, but Seattle. You know, are your routes random? Do you have a, a rhyme or reason to kind of where you're going to end up? Or do you just get a wild hair up your ass one day and say, let's drive around and where we end up is where we end up? Typically, if, if it was summertime that we just went through, we'd have our whole tourist season, people out from work during happy hour, because we do it from 6 to 10 p.m. on Wednesdays. We can do it any additional day that we want. But traditionally, it was 6 to 10 p.m. And we'd start out on Capitol Hill. It's a good kind of happy hour, good feel. Drive around the hill a couple times um, from 6 to about 7.30, 8-ish. Then we hit the freeway, which is always a beautiful experience. Just to be driving. <laughs> it looks great. Everyone just trips out because they're like, they, they aren't expecting it. You can just see them on their phones and they're in the back. And there's like, even people driving down the freeway are like, WTF with that thing, man. And, you know, we get chase cars with us, you know, driving by and they're videoing and stuff. And we headed down the freeway, which is a short little spin from downtown to the U district. And then we take a right and go through the U district up and down the Ave, maybe through frat sorority row a little bit. And then about eight 30 ish, we start heading back to the city and we're Oh, well after we, when we do, I'm sorry, we do cap Hill. We run through all the way downtown as well. Come down Pike, go through the city. Again, all those tourists, everyone out gets to see it and then run back up. And that, that usually takes care of our four hour tour. And we always start out, I'll give them a shout out. They're not one of our sponsors yet, but we always start out, at Dick's on Capitol Hill. Right. Um, and one of the other cool shows that I'm able to do while that show is happening in the back, you can check out some, some uh, pilot episodes of it. I'm up front driving and we do what's called the cab sessions. So you ever see taxi cab confessions? Yeah. We got a party going on in the back, but in the front I have a camera mounted on the dash and I talk to the DJs up front for an hour before they go play in the back. So it's me and the DJ up front having a Dick's hamburger, milkshake, whatever, driving through the city streets, talking about their career, talking about everything, da 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 da. And then when they jump, go back in the back, the next DJ comes up front and sits up front with me. So I'm basically producing two separate two, Yeah, theories. two things going on at one time. That's uh, that's pretty fucking genius or crazy, depending on your and, point of view. That's and, uh, Yeah, you can, hear the, you can hear the music from the back. It doesn't. We wear lavalier mics, so it's all nice and neat. And, it's just kind of really cool, you know, just I, like I said, I, I always like pushing those boundaries as much as I can, um, you know, like our silent disco events, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Let's talk about well. it right now. Yeah. So moving on yes. from one one epic event to now something else. So you've got these trucks that you're now kind of uh, driving around the city, fully loaded, doing all kinds of crazy stuff outside of the box, thinking for sure. And the words silent and disco well, they don't necessarily go together, right? Until you come along. Tell us about this. I, well, I, I can't take credit for creating the technology. I can take credit for falling in love with it. Okay. Uh, it is just one of the, the most amazing pieces of technology that I've got to play with in a long time and coupling it with what we do at the DJ says already bringing it into our existing infrastructure was just amazing. So basically, if you don't know what a silent disco is, um, Think of it where you go to a normal concert, 
and you have one performer on stage performing over the loud sound system. Sure. Well, what we do is we take that, remove the loud sound system, and we put it into wireless headsets. Now, it's not just the one performer you can listen to on the, the headsets. We can put multiple performers at the same time on different channels on the headset. So I could have four DJs playing at the same time on the same stage and have the audience in front just choosing what channel they want to listen to. That's insanity. So are you handing out like headphones to audience members or is this like a bring your own device kind of a thing? Nope. They actually rent the headset from us. They're locked into our frequencies. So people, we have toyed with the idea if somebody wanted to purchase a headset from us, we will sell them. Then they can have their own headset that's locked in because our headsets are actually very high quality. You're able to use them as regular headsets. And I'll be talking to you a little bit about that upgrade in a moment. But, um, you know, it's just it, what, what happened, even just with the silent disco technology, we used to throw a lot of rooftop parties in these high class places. And one of the biggest things that people complained about was noise. Oh, sure. we go to the beach. We go to Golden Gardens. We go to Alki and we get a noise violation. Cops would come and tell us, turn it down. With silent disco technology, that doesn't happen. But the biggest thing that from a video producer standpoint that allowed me to do, I now just quadrupled my production content. I could go from producing four hours of content to 16 hours of content in the same city. It's mind-blowing. So imagine where I go from, say I got four hours every Saturday and four hours every Sunday to where I could do 16 hours every Saturday and 16 hours every Sunday. So there's 32 hours a week, plus coupled in with the four hours a week of the mobile truck. Okay, or I'm sorry, there's 64 hours. No, I'm sorry, there's 32 Sorry, 36 hours every week. Do the math. It comes out to 144 hours of content a month. Because you're running basically four at the same time that you can then post segment into their own things. Correct. Rather than have to go, okay, I got to record this. Now I got to record this. Now I got to record this. Now I got to record this. It's yeah. all happening. Simul- it's like a fucking festival, dude. <laughs> basically. And that's not even the best part about this is that our headsets are upgrade. This isn't the upgrade I wanted to talk to you about but our headsets are able to be upgraded to nine channel headsets. So I could have nine DJs playing, or I could have, I could have, if a band was in B drums and playing, I could, I could set up a whole band to play through a channel on silent disco headsets. I could put DJs, multiple DJs. I could put spoken word. I could put a jazz band or a classical quartet or something, all different types of, of, of content that could be assimilated through the headsets. We've even talked about the idea of doing silent movie theaters with the city has pitched us to do silent disco movie theaters. So imagine you come into the middle, you have four screens, one, two, three, four. In the middle, you come get your headsets, but you just decide which, which way you want to look and tune it to that channel for that screen. So you could have a kid's movie playing, a sci-fi movie playing, a comedy, and a drama all in the same sitting at the same time. Yeah. Now, if I had the nine channel, if I had the nine, wait, it gets better. If I had the nine channel headsets, <laughs> I could put a DJ booth underneath each of those stages. So if you didn't want to watch the movies and you wanted to dance to a DJ, you could then tune into the DJ playing underneath each one of the stages. So what kind of a venue would be required to make all of that happen all at once? Public park. So you just said <laughs> public park, right? In the nice October Seattle weather. Um, well, so a big, a big yeah. place, though, where you can set this up and kind of pick your poison, if you will, what you want to engage with. And no matter which route you choose to go, 
the control is at your fingertips on your head. Correct. The end user gets to do that. One of the things that, uh, that I, I was really happy to launch in the website as well. So let's say you're at our Simon Disco event and we have the red, blue, green, and orange channel. And you're at the event and you pick up your device and you say, hey, social media friends, you got to check this out. I'm listening to the red channel. Mike is banging it out. Your friend at home goes to our website. They can watch the red channel live streaming. But right below that is the blue channel. They could click on the blue channel and start listening to the blue channel from home and go, hey, you should switch over to the blue channel. That's popping right now. And now they go over and you're at the event. You click in now get to the blue channel. So you can actually have the audience participation of a live audience in Silent Disco, but also have a live stream audience in the Silent Disco as well. So you can have people from around the world partaking in the Silent Disco like the people are at the actual event. So I could throw an event with 200 people, but I could still have 10,000 people from around the world watching the individual channels. That's crazy. And people that are driving by in the city, all they see is a group of people with no sound. <laughs> They've got these headsets on, right? Uh, just, I'm sure the spectacle of that would just be amazing. And, and it's great because, you know, I, I get it as a musician. I mean, I've played tons of shows and I've dealt with sound ordinances and I've heard the club owners and the venue owners, you know, they're like, hey, listen, we want to do this legally. We, you know, there's so many things that we have to do. And at the end of the day, certain areas just are not going to be conducive to large crowds with large amounts of noise. And if you can eliminate the noise, but still get the feel of that, you know, because I mean, DJs specifically, probably more so than any other kinds of music, electronic, I mean, that's a very club oriented scene. That's kind of a, a very social element to that, that other kinds of music maybe don't quite have that level of connection. So being able to still have the same experience and feel it. Plus, if you have badass headphones, you can feel that music in your head that much more. So it doesn't necessarily take away from the experience of loudspeakers or things like that. Um, yeah, that's that's just that's some next level thinking, and uh, well, <laughs> that's crazy. I think you're gonna like what we come up with. I'm gonna tell you what we've evolved into next. Okay. Um, so, in addition to all of that awesomeness we actually are now taking the term and we're wondering if we're still going to use silent disco moving forward because we've added a new piece of technology into our existing event structure, our show. And if you know what a, a haptic speaker is or mm -hmm. have you ever heard, so what we've done is we've, we've contacted or working with a company by the name of Wooger and you basically, as a matter of fact, let me, well, they won't be able to see it because it's an audio podcast anyways. <laughs> um, but long story short, you wear this device like an Iron Man belt, little thing here. Our headsets will allow you to plug into the Wooger. You can actually start to feel the bass of the music. Yeah. And because our, our headsets are wireless, you can take that Wooger with you a thousand feet away from our stage and still be feeling the bass shaking like a subwoofer shaking you. Now, it won't be at like some big, huge concert sound system, but – Trust me, the puppy dog effect happens when people try it. And I say, wear it for 15 minutes, come back to me. Like, they take it off. I go, I miss it already. And, and, it, and when you change channels on the headsets, the Wooger changes channels with you. So we're looking to upgrade from silent disco to silent concerts. Because you're gonna actually going to start to feel the concert taking place. Um, they're a little bit on the expensive side when it comes to the technology. 
but we're working closely with the, to get a deal with, with Wooger in place and or one of our sponsor deals to help offset that. But it's been a hit so far. And so again, being able to give somebody right now an experience, a collective music experience they can share with other people while physical and social distancing, being able to feel the music, being able to have multiple channels to choose from when you go to a show, being able to say, okay, I don't even want to go to your show. I just want to sit back from home and watch this live and be able to choose those multiple channels. You know, we're really trying to, to push those boundaries, push that edge of, of not being, and I'm not trying to knock anyone at all, but we're not a bedroom DJ show. We're not a living room DJ show. That's just not what this vision was ever set up to be. It won't be. There are other bigger things in, in the works. Um, I can't talk about them because, you know, I do have competitors out there. <laughs> uh, but long story short, we always wanted to be that featured show that actually focuses on the independent artists. I mean, the A-listers, they're so great and they're amazing. It's always a blessing to have them on board. Um, there will be more A-list, what I call A-list or celebrity appearances on the show moving forward. But um, it's really about giving a platform that DJs can come out, play, network, be in front of fans, have their set cap live stream and captured for later distribution for eternity, and you know hopefully grow their career and become notable or be, go get their goals um, in alignment and, and um, secure some future for them in the industry. Yeah, you know, you hit on something a, a couple of times, and I don't want to jump the shark on it just yet, but obviously the stuff that you're doing requires more of a financial investment than say, like you said, the average podcaster, the average, even, you know, from home broadcaster, there's gotta be some kind of a subsidy that helps you get through this. I mean, I can't imagine that you just say, (laughs) Hey, listen, I love spending money. So I'm just going to pour my life savings into this. I mean, I saw on your website that there's, you know, some membership options that you have, which is one thing. Sponsors are one thing, but how do you subsidize the amount of stuff that you're doing and, you know, not have to eat top ramen for the rest of your life? That's a great question. And I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people have thought, I don't know if I'm just a good spin artist. I'm going to do my PR. They already think I've been making a quarter million, half a million, whatever I'm doing for the last 10 years. Sure. When really it has been the top ramen, you know, I don't go on vacations kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Know, I, do, I, I pour my blood, sweat, tears. In it. I mean, I've been attacked by certain members of certain communities because they think that I'm making money and I'm not paying the DJs. And the funny what thing is, is for the first five years of the show, DJs used to pay me. Yeah. They were paying me and everyone that came on board understood it. They were basically paying me studio time, paying me to be an engineer, paying me to produce their video and part of that package deal was that I would help distribute, record. I'd get it out in a certain amount of time, podcast it, and let it live online forever. Still a good deal and, for uh, sure. Oh, for 50 bucks an hour? Oh, hell yeah. Ha! You can't beat that. Yeah. I mean, now everyone, everyone, oh, I got a webcam. They want to do it from home. Okay. We'll see how that goes. I mean, I, I bless, bless their hearts. I encourage artists. I encourage people to keep doing this. But like I was just talking with somebody the other day, what's your end goal? If your end goal is just to play and show it and then tell all your Facebook friends and Instagram friends about it, okay, cool. If your end goal is to maybe start booking gigs because of it or to build a 
following, a social media following, and your goal is to say, hey, I want to reach 100 viewers each time I go live, or I want to have 10,000 downloads each time I, I put my podcast out there a week. Okay, great. You've got to set some benchmarks, and that's what will separate. And, and then what I say is you can still have those kind of benchmarks, but when somebody wants to turn it into a business and they say, hey, I want to quit my job and do this full time. Right. You know, and be making and be making a comfortable living. If they were making fifty grand a year, well, then you'd have to make equivalent to and or have a plan to make more, just like a normal job. You get normal pay increases, so you're gonna have to figure out how to pay increase this. And you know, that's why I said earlier in the show, you have that you can get to that extreme hobbyist, and they're probably being financed by some nice paying or by a job right. or dual income household. Um, but you know, they just do it because they love it. I do this with the advent of trying to get this as a, as a full up and running. I think I mentioned to you earlier in the show. No, maybe I didn't. But, you know, we were looking for our first round just for the Seattle market. My goal for 2020 was a quarter million dollars. And that's by all means very low budget for the amount of content of, we produce. Of revenue or of sponsorships? Of okay, gotcha. Sponsor, sponsor, sponsorships, sponsorships. Yeah, I mean – um, and that was very low ball. I mean, people don't understand when I tell people what it costs to do live stream, to really do this. If I was to go quote a customer, bring my gear out, my knowledge, my resume and everything, I've low ball people. Like when I say low ball, I told them the lowest I would go and then put all the hours into it. They still don't believe me on how much it costs. They're like, yeah. bullshit. It doesn't cost that much. Sorry. <laughs> I keep just done. I'm like, go get a quote from somebody. Well, you're not that somebody. I'm bringing the same gear. I got the same knowledge. I'm doing the same production. It's the same level, it's the same level, you know, and they just, they don't, they, so I, I even make it simpler for them. I said, okay, you know, let's break down how much it would cost to produce an hour. Let's see how many hours I'm producing. Let's see all the back end work that I do during the week. They don't get it. And so when you mentioned a quarter million to some people like, huh, I can't believe that. I can't, I'm like, oh gosh, this should actually be anywhere between 750 to a million a year. Because all the people I'd have to pay and the infrastructure going on to make this happen, you know, it just the licensing. Oh, God forbid the licensing. Right. You know, that one alone is is a, is a nightmare in itself. You know, they don't understand if I wanted to pay people decent wages, yeah, I'm not going to be able to hire somebody for 15 bucks an hour. That's not the level of how this comes in, or 20 bucks an hour, or 25 bucks an hour. These are people that expect salary. They want 90,000 a year. And you want to put a team of even three or four of those people together. Okay. Plus I got to get paid myself. Right. Hope I'm the boss. Let's say I take, a <laughs> I need three more people at, at 80 grand. Okay. Right there. There's 350,000 a year, just in payroll, just in payroll, you know? So no, it's not a, this is a labor. It is a labor of love. And I, I realized over time, that I think people, what they've realized is even though they may come in and hate on me or talk their smack or whatever, I think it's kind of realized that you understand this guy's been doing the show for 10 years. It's not a hobby to him. It's not it's a labor. It's a religion to him you know, to, to, to make him stop or to go for it because you just don't do something that passionate. If it was a hobby, I could pick it up and put it down. I'm always moving. I'm always making something happen. So again, like we do right now, we are a nonprofit charitable organization. The only revenue stream that we have coming in right now is from our silent disco headset rentals because all sponsors have pulled field marketing. Right. Membership is bad. Uh, we just launched the membership campaign, got that up and running. 
it's not bad. We just started using, utilizing our 12,000 person email list. Like I said, a lot of stuff was going to kick off in 19, but you know, you don't want to go, Oh, Hey, everyone watch our shows. Because the one thing is you got to watch out when you start charging online and you're distributing other people's music. Guess what happens? That's right. That cost going up. You know, it's like, just like I said earlier in the show, Mike, they might not say you're a small show or anything, but they might say a dollar for Mike, but we want $50 for Darren. Right. My licensing deals are just non, I can't do anything anymore because I can't get access to the songs my DJs want to play. And that's just, people just don't understand that reality. So they're slowly coming around to it. They're bitter and they're, you know, <laughs> that's a, that's not a, that's not a, um, what I call that's, that's not an MP. That's a YP. That's, that's, or a TP, I guess. They can take all that TP they bought earlier in the year and use it. So you've got you've got this model though put together. It's it's you know all things COVID aside, things are, are kind of for your model are looking towards progress, looking towards gaining sponsorships, looking towards gaining membership. So at least you have some kind of way to to offset what you're paying out of your pocket. Um, that's great. Uh, tell me about uh, hashtag bundle up and boogie. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, being the nonprofit charitable organization that we are, we are applying for a 501c3, but we're registered with Washington State. And one of the things that I saw a need for, I, I've always been partial to giving back to the community. You know, giving a lot back of the time that I do with the shows is great, but you know, there's 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 people that need extra help, especially in these times, no matter what. You know, and and, and seeing that they might need anything from food to clothing for their kids, um, clothing for themselves. You know, something to, to help out. I came up with the um, hashtag since we were moving into the winter time uh, was bundle up and boogie. Basically, put on some warm clothes. You know what Seattle weather's like. Mm. Put on some warm clothes. Come out and dance. If you're a really diehard fan, if not, stay at home and dance. But, <laughs> you know, come out and have some fun with us. Bundle up and boogie. Bring a couple cans of food or a clothing item. You know, hopefully it's, it's a new clothing. That's some socks, some gloves, blankets, whatever it is, and, and donate. And we can give that back to community members out there. There's a lot of people out there that uh, that just need that extra support yeah. right now. And I know because I've been in those positions. You know, a lot of people don't know the history about me. Like I said, when you mentioned Top Ramen, I've been there. I know what that's like. And, uh, you know, it, it's 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 – it's tough and it, uh, pride can get in the way with a lot of things. So we just want to make sure we're out there helping people out. But the, the campaign is the bundle up and boogie campaign. Come out for a good cause, come out and support us. Um, you know, cause those proceeds can, can go towards really helping the communities that, that we're in. And if people want to donate, do they just look for the truck or do you have a, a spot where they can go and, and drop stuff off? Yeah. Well, every weekend we're every weekend right now, our, go-to location is Gasworks Park because it has the largest covered area structure that I've found in the city. And they can just bring their items to us at the event and drop off there. Um, there is a way they can make a donation through our website. If they go to the, <laughs> I should know where to navigate this to. <laughs> they go to mem- if they go under the membership link, under the menu, there's the membership sign up, the newsletter sign up, and then there's a donate button. They can donate there. I mean, anything helps, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to it, uh, whether it's a donation, whether it's a membership sign up, whether it's food, a clothing item. Um, I've had people just come up and just want to hand us 
cash. Like, hey, here you go. We were at Golden Gardens this summer. And they just the family that came down from the hill because they always hear the thumping loud music. Right. They saw what we were doing. There must have been like fifteen of them. It was like kind of a family reunion. When Dad just whips out a twenty dollar bill and says, "I love this because you guys aren't making neat music like everyone else." And then the mom goes, "Well, you can't give. I got to match that donation now." Like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. But no, I mean it's it's been you know it's been for a love of the game, but definitely a to turn into a revenue generator. Uh, and that's where we were had the contracts and everything in place to like that. But one of the biggest things was getting the website up and running, right? Making sure we were a viable commodity, you know, making sure that we had our logistics in play, making sure when somebody gives us the money, we know we can deliver on what we say we're going to be able to do. Um, the last thing you ever want to have happen is a, a sponsor poll because of bad, bad customer service. And I've worked for companies like Nordstrom's and Apple in the past. So I have a very high level of customer service. I like making my, my clients smile. I like making my end users or the, those clients smiles. I kind of got two clients I serve. Yeah. You know, I got sponsors. I got to appease and I got client and, 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 and listeners I got to appease at the same time. So, and how do you go about getting the, uh, the stuff that is donated? How does it get into the, the hands of those that need it? Yeah. Uh, great. I work with a couple of the local food banks here. Uh, I live on third and third and pine, as I mentioned, a free interview that I call it third and third, third crime. crime. <laughs> yeah, third crime. But uh, I, I worked with the the local the Pike Place um, the Pike Place Food Bank. Yeah, there and uh, also the uh, what's the other one? There's there's the one down in uh, Belltown. It's the the Union, the Labor Hall one. Um, you know, Salvation Army. Just there's a few of them right in my general neighborhood, and I like to kind of say neighborhood centric when I do things. I used to when I lived on Capitol Hill, I kind of worked with the local business communities there in my own local neighborhood. When you said um, union, are you talking union gospel mission? Union gospel mission. Gotcha. I think that's the one. Yes, I think it is. It's on, uh, it's on between second and third on vine. Yeah. It's down that area somewhere. Down that area. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just trying to really help out because those places, they, they do, that's a labor of love. The people that are helping out there, you know, they aren't, they aren't corporate Microsoft making a bunch of money, doing it they're just they're there and they're helping out the community and the people that really do need to help so yeah. need the help so so 501c3 awesome i mean in my real person day job um i work with a lot of not-for-profit companies so um very familiar with all the the regulations you have to follow all the ways you can qualify for that all the little kind of pieces of red tape that uh, you have to go through so that somebody doesn't set up a fake one and then kind of embezzle their own money, but <laughs> all of that stuff that kind of can happen in there. So let's get back into what we started talking about at the beginning, which is now you're deemed an essential business. Clearly you're doing some things for the community. So there's the love of music. There's the love of the events, keeping things going, giving back to the community. How do you get a city like Seattle, which let's be honest, is a very tough city to navigate with the way that they work, how they deal with businesses, how they deal with the community. Um, you know, how do you get deemed as an essential business in the Seattle climate? Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, under the governor's guidelines for the Seattle, uh, for essential businesses, if yes, you sir. go to their website and there's a document that lists all the industries and what it is, um, when where we qualify is under the communication se section, we're a media-based company. Sure. At the heart of what we do, we are a media-based company. Uh, and it says this, but not limited to 
news reporting, field reporting, videography, blah, 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 blah. It goes down this line. So, you know, could somebody just start up a video production company and say, okay, we're, we're the essential business. Yes, right. you could. Um, you know, are they going to comment and say, well, what sets you apart from different businesses? I can say, well, look, we have a 10 year track record of doing our show. We are a Twitch feature. I've been a live stream feature partner. I have broadcast credentials. We're a Twitch featured partner, which I still think, I think I saw the numbers the other day. It was July of this year. I think there's like 20 million, 40 million. I think it's 40 million streamers now. And only 45,000 have still been made a featured partner. And out of those 45,000, I, I believe there's only a handful that are not video game produced shows. And so under the communication section, we qualify as an essential business. Now you go to the community-based section, uh, which is down just a little bit lower. So people that are in your regular community. And it says artists and businesses that live stream. So not only are we a media-based company that is still considered an essential business, we are artists and a business that our primary principal practice is live streaming. So you got to go back and look at our filing to Washington State. And what does it say our company does is pretty much we produce media for broadcast and internet distribution right. to be distributed throughout the community. You know, there's no, there's no black and white there. And I didn't know this essential business guidelines when I went and created and filed with the state of Washington. That was two years ago. And literally almost two, and a, two years, two and a half years ago. So that being said, I was explaining this to somebody today in a, in a, in a casting interview is that people go out and they say, well, you, that doesn't qualify you to do an event. You're doing an event. You're inviting people to come out and you're, you're holding the concert. You're having DJs play. And I go, no, we are doing our live streaming show at a public park. We are allowed to be there. We are following the guidelines of that by letting, having no more than five people within our six-foot circle. And I wrote this off to make sure that it's just me and the DJs in the booth area at any given time. And I, I do have the sanitization, sanitizer out there and everything. But the one caveat is I explain this analogy and the fact is a restaurant's an essential business. But you don't go to the restaurant for the knives and forks. You don't. Our headsets are the knives and forks to a component of what our media-based company and our live streaming is doing. And once people wrap their head around it, they go, wow, okay, I get it. You know, And what we do out there, is, there's no permits needed for what we do. I have researched this. I have literally written the playbook on it, uh, making sure that we are following all protocols as an essential business, making sure that anything that we do in the park is not doesn't need to have a permit, um, just to make sure that nobody can throw the book at us. And, you know, say, oh, nope, you got this one. Oh, nope, you got And when we first came out, you know, the Parks Department, they didn't know. One hand of the Parks Department didn't know what the other hand was doing. So we started going out there doing this. When I had my playbook, this hand knew what we were doing. This hand, we get out there and they're freaking out. What do we do? And, I mean, they would call the cops on us. Uh, the first two weekends we were out, we had the cops called us three times. Multiple officers. I'm not thinking just one officer. Multiple officers. I love Seattle SPD. I mean, the ones that are cool, sure. For the most part, they usually all are. Um, and uh, they come out and they're like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Like they would ask the parks department, "What is he doing wrong?" And the parks people would be like, "Wah wah 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 wah." They they had nothing, nothing. They said, "If he's not doing anything wrong, we can't do anything." And if you're going to tell him to take down this pop up tent, 
Well, then you got to tell the other 50 people in the park to take down a pop-up tent too. If you're going to tell them to take down his table, you got to tell the other people with their picnic tables and their things up and their chairs that they can't be here. Right. You can't just pick on this guy. And he's actually everything that was set up, our signage that we had that explained exactly what we're doing. They're like, this guy's the only guy doing it safe. And you got college people, you got families, 20, 30 people gathering together, not wearing masks. They're breaking the rules and you're busting this guy's balls. Yeah. It's also worth second. noting, you know, when you talk about how people may, may misconstrue it or misunderstand it, because, you know, it's like this in a lot of states. But for instance, in Washington, you can't have an indoor concert at this point. Like, you know, if you're if you're a let's say that you're a bar that has live music right now, the state has deemed that you cannot have music playing. You can go to the bar, you can go to the restaurant, but you, live performance, they tried to do it like, well, you can have like five people up there, but it got to where there's a lot of people that were just told straight up, you can't have performances. So you're following the guidelines outside for the most part and doing all of the stuff as laid out, you know, by the state. Um, and that's kind of part of what enables you to um, operate in that capacity. Correct. Correct. And, you know, once it goes into a private, like if I go to private property or I go inside a business, it, uh, no, the health department come by and find us $25,000. And they don't go after me. They go after the business They'll owner. They go after the, the venue. Yeah. The venue. So, you know, you're not, they wouldn't even allow comedy to happen. You couldn't put a comedian on stage. And, you know, even in church, they're not, you're not supposed to do choir as they're supposed to sing. You can sing, but you can't have choir. It, it's been really – I got friends of mine that are in the wedding industry and the, and, the, and the event industry, and it's just been driving them insane because, it's like, our industry is dying, and we're not getting anything from the state to help out. They're not getting anything from the CARES Act to help out. They're, I mean, it's just literally going boom. And even though it's an election year, it's, it's, I, it's sad to say it's just not top priority for these politicians to focus on writing grants for businesses like – it's kind of like, oh, well, well, go get another job doing something else with your life. Right. And it's like, what? Like, whoa, it, it's just insane out there. So um, I'm kind of feeling that I'm wondering if we're going to see a phase three lift. But the governor ends like he's putting on his changing these things up. He keeps changing the parameters. We were supposed to be why I chose July 18th for our launch date is because we were tracking perfectly to go into phase three on July 18th. Correct. It's still a modified, modified phase two here in King County. And so it's like up to five people. Even when, even when he did is he modified phase three to go to, you can now gather in up to 10 people, but an outdoor recreational event like aerobics or exercise that can have up to 50 people. So we could in phase three have up to 50 people at an outdoor event um, while you're still, but you still got to qualify as an essential business. So people here, I can have 50 people. Let's throw a party. That's not what it means. And the biggest problem with all, it's not trying to get down to too much, but where's the enforcement? You know, I mean, who, and I, I asked this question, people thought I was an anti-masker and I was just trying to find when he made the rules, who's enforcing this? Right. What am I looking at? Is it, is it, is it the police department? Is it, the health department? Is there a whole new group of people? That <laughs> Citizens, on <laughs> Citizens on patrol. Citizens on patrol. But what authority do they have? Right. 
they're going to say, what? Give me your name. Give me your number. Give me your, no, it's, it's, yeah. The accountability factor is pretty rough and, and, you know, it it just comes down to, uh, it's one thing to, to put something in place and it's another thing to make sure people are adhering to it, you know? So it's a, it's a tough position to be in for a lot of people. The music industry is hit pretty hard for sure. As are many, you know, the restaurants were hit really hard for the first few months for sure. Some of them just went away forever. Um, Seattle is, you know, a very food and entertainment oriented, you know, area. I mean, it's, it's always been kind of known for its, uh, it's culinary scene. And, and that's, I mean, that's my job. Like I'm, my day job is I'm an executive chef. I'm a consultant. I go around and I, I train people and I set up food programs and stuff like that. And it's been really tough for us to get in and, and kind of work with people because the way the limitations work. So I get it, man. So what's, uh, and now we're rolling into, you know, the back part of the year where outdoor events and outdoor things are going to be very tough to get. For those of you that don't know Seattle weather, um, you know, <laughs> it's a very, ch- <laughs> it's challenging our all year round to say the least. But, you know, we're, we're getting into now going to be some, some pretty rough, cold, rainy, windy season through probably January or February. And, you know, tents and all that kind of stuff aside, if you're dealing with, you know, music, you've got electronics, you've got things you have to be concerned about, you know, what are you going to be doing then for the next few months? Uh, what's your contingency plan for all that? Oh, all of our, we, we've shifted everything. We were at we were Gold Gardens all summer. Now we're moving to Gasworks Park. Um, and that's, that has the covered area there. You know, and, and like I said, the biggest thing that, that when you see renegades parties happen, all of our events happen in the afternoon, by the way. None of these are at late at night, past park hours. There's, we aren't trying to trespass or climb the fence or throw warehouse parties or anything like that. These happen from 2 to 6 in the afternoon. You know, if somebody were to come with amplified music and play it, you have people that live not too far away. They'll hear it. They'll call the cops. They'll call the police. And if the police come, they'll say, Turn it down. Or will the police come right now? Will they say it's a non-emergency call? I got way more other things to deal with. <laughs> and uh, going in with a noise. And they, they usually know most events that take place. They're not going for 8, 10, 12 hours. They're usually there for 3, 4 hours. They're shut down. They're gone. So by the time the non-emergency call gets there, they're like, okay, we just got here and nobody's here. you know. But when they come knocking on our door, they really – they have nothing to say there's nothing to, to they can't say anything you know which is nice um in the sense of things because we, we want to make it plausible again we want to make it a community healing aspect not a community damaging aspect and the more that we could show that we can do an event at a place not disrupt the community in any way shape or form i mean god forbid if we had a parking issue wow i'd, I'd be having a happy day you know, if we had, if we had a capacity, if I was out of headsets, I'd be having a happy day, you know, but it's slowly, you know, you have, you have diametrically opposed sides. You have some friends of people that say, I want to get out and do something and I'm going to go to this. And then the way they say it, they're like, I can't believe you're going to an event. You're doing this. And then you have some people that say, I'm not going to do anything. And if you do this, you're a bad person. And so not necessarily political about it, but it's like, I encourage everyone to come out and see what we're doing. See our operation. You know, it, it's safer than going to a restaurant. It's safer than going to the grocery store. We are following every single guideline that has to be followed. And we should be able, we, well, we are allowed to do business just like every other business out there. As long as we follow 
the guidelines. If they decide to take the guidelines and take it back and do a further lockdown, well, that's going to lock us down. We can't do it. We're going to break the rules. When when all of this is said and done then, right, when let's just say that we we move on from phase three, we get into phase four, we get back into full opening, you know, what's what's next for you then at that point? I mean, I, I'm sure that you're going to continue on this, uh, you know, silent concert concept because that sounds like it's just a, an amazing concept that has very long-term implications. But as far as other elements of the show then, what do you go back to first when you get full ability to open back up in full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's once we're able to do that, I know our, sp- our sponsors are in a holding pattern. Contracts that we have are in a holding pattern. All those open back up and people, you know, you know, the movie Dune. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the part where he says when, when he goes, uh, he says to his buddy after they're living on the planets, the it, kind of the end scene of the movie. And he says, uh, I can't remember the, the character's name, but he says, Kyle McLaughlin's character says, hey, is there worm sign? And the, the guy goes, Usul, there's worm sign, the likes of which God hasn't seen. <laughs> People don't know what I've been working on all this time. They've been, focusing, they, they've been focusing on live streaming and podcasting for the most part for the last six months. This, this, once life goes back, I'm, I'm predicting there will be a 40 to 60% drop in ta- content creation. There will be a 60 to 40% drop in content consumption because if people start going back to work they start doing things again they're not going to have all that free time on their hands or they're going to say they're going to be so ptsd of being having spent so much time in front of the computer in front of netflix they're like i don't want to be in front of the computer i don't want to listen i I love that but i don't want to do that anymore and again that's where we have been focusing on the live streaming podcast is is tertiary in nature to what we do it, it, it's 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 a foreground of what we do, but really gearing everything up was for our silent events, our silent concerts, those things to be ready to be our force majeure. Because we realized about eight months ago, nine months, well, ten months ago probably, that we have our own pop up nightclub that we can do legitimately, legally, and be a family friendly event. And you know, I know a lot of sponsor. I know a lot of um, how to say event promoters. I've been in the nightclub scene for a number of years of my life, probably 20, 28 years of my life. So there's some what people would call secrets to the game, but for us, there's not a monopoly on the game anymore. You know, and that's what the thing was is that these these businesses they had such a monopoly lockdown. The promoters had such a monopoly lockdown on the game that getting your foot in the door. What are you going to do? Go start up your own nightclub? Okay, $2 million. Okay, see if you can get the liquor license. See if you can run that and staff that and then keep acts going and then you're against them. We don't have to worry about that. And, you know, um, that's where we'll, we will be hopefully in a year's time. That's <laughs> where things should be. Well, it sounds like you've got things pretty well thought out. I mean, you're somebody who thinks a couple of steps ahead of where you are, which I think is rare for a lot of people that are kind of caught in the moment like i'm just i've got this time now i'm going to do this now and then when this is good it's a very linear movement and you're thinking in non-linear fashions you're thinking of what's happening here while this is going on and then what's going to happen down the road so so you've definitely got planning uh in your back pocket which is amazing well it's a it's a crazy world we live in lots of rules and regulations but at the end of the day I, I appreciate what you're doing because you're you. providing art and entertainment 
especially in a much needed time right now where people need a break from how how crazy life has been. So what haven't we touched on? I know we're going to have to wrap this up here pretty quick, but um, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Is there anything else that I want to get out to the world before I let you get back to your evening? Yes. Uh, go to our website, thedjsessions.com. That's thedjsessions.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. You'll find out when we go live, especially when you follow us on Twitch, whenever that channel goes live. We have a number of resident DJs I'd like to give a shout out to before I let you go because we just brought on a number of them. Uh, some of the best, most awesome talent that I've, I've seen. I've, I've worked with so many people in the world, but you know, we got the likes of Avian Invasion, Chris138, Dabble, DJ Shaggy, DJ Show Enough, DJ Spitfire, DJ Tigro, DJ Transcend, Eva, Nomer, Justin Murda, Carmi, Louise Tudor, Machine Logic, Orion, Serge Andrew Cool, DJ Moss, and Timid all coming in. Batting for you every weekend from Saturdays, Saturdays and Sundays from 2 to 6 p.m. from Gasworks Park for our silent disco events. And then look for our truck driving around if you're in the Seattle area, if you want to tune in and watch live, the mobile sessions every Wednesday from 6 to 10 p.m. Our whole event calendar is on our website, thedjsessions.com. Awesome. And don't forget, if you're on the website, check out the amazing packages they got if you want to support the show. What's the best way to support the DJ sessions? You know, uh, the member, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. Uh, you can make a donation if you're not in state, uh, a one-time donation. Um, but the membership option... It's designed to, you know, for people that are here because they, they get half off to our shows. We can do membership discounts, merch giveaways, things of that nature. But uh, whether you want to support the show via a membership or click the donate button, uh, definitely it helps. Every little penny helps. Um, especially, I, I did forget to mention one thing that when we go live, this is one of our caveats. We've been tracking this over the last few months. When we go live, we have been placing the moment we go live in the top 20 of Twitch on Twitch music page. And usually anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes later, we are in the top 10. We've been placing in number seven, position number five on the Twitch feed, on the Twitch music page. So that's just something I forgot to, to add in there. It was a nice build. We knew it was coming, but it's like, so check us out. One of the top streaming DJ shows in the world. Awesome. The DJ Sessions. The DJ <laughs> Sessions. Make sure you have a Twitch account if you want to follow and be able to participate in all the kind of cool live chats and things like that. So... Awesome. Well, Darren, this has been an amazing conversation, and I think you and I could probably go for four or five more hours. So maybe we will have to just kind of revisit this, you know, kind of maybe when we get into the next phase, we see what's going on. We'll stay in touch. Maybe when everything opens up, you and I can get together in person, kind of uh, shoot the shit and do something like that. But uh, I want to thank Sounds you great. for your time and for educating me on the ways of the DJ. And uh, <laughs> for all of you out there in podcast and radio land, make sure you follow the DJ sessions on Twitch. If you're in Seattle, go walk around and look for that badass truck. Uh, you can't miss <laughs> it. It's easy to spot. So uh, thank you again, Darren. And I appreciate you coming on Misery Point Radio. And I'll talk to you again real soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. And thanks as always to all of you out there in the wasteland for the epic levels of support that you continue to show me and Misery Point Radio. 
Really can't thank you all enough. You all are rock stars. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming platform, which now includes Pandora and Amazon Music. Super badass. And what would also be super badass is if you gave us a like and a follow on the social media pages like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Invite your friends to like the pages as well. That really helps me out. And bands and musicians, as promised, I'm putting together some cool new stuff for some future on-air broadcasts. We'll be looking at the first part of next year to roll this out, but we're assembling and programming broadcasts right now as we speak. So send in those MP3s and press kits to miserypointradio at gmail.com. Lastly, check out the show on the Spoilerverse for other pop culture-centered shows, articles, blogs, videos, comics, industry news, and piles of random awesomeness that's spoilerverse.com hosted by the podcast juggernaut that is spoiler country in an ocean of podcasts they are cthulhu seriously check it out i'm gonna shut up now but i'll talk to you soon on misery point radio